Triple M's The Real Football Show Catch-Up. Saturday mornings from 7am for CMI Toyota, SA's number one Toyota dealer. Triple M's Real Football Show. Where Chris Dittmar, Albie Kidd, Marcos Flores and Val Migliaccio discuss the biggest issues affecting fans of the round ball. Terrific run and a super finish. The Triple M Real Football Show. All the superstars are here. Albie Kidd, we've got Marcus Flores, the Johnny Warren medalist and former superstar at Adelaide United. The biggest news prager in the game is Val Migliaccio. Good morning, men. Morning, Dits. Uh, on the show today, uh, Marcus, you might have to speak up there. In fact, good uh, morning, Marcus. Good morning. Now Mark. he's working. There you go. Beautiful. You've got an absolute amateur here pushing the buttons. Uh, on the show today, Greg Griffin is going to join us. Uh, big news that Val broke last week about the Adelaide Oval and the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. So Greg Griffin to join us. Uh, also, Albie Kidd has lined up an incredible interview with uh, uh, Graham Arnold. Albie, what do you want to talk to Graham Arnold about today? Well, just the, the World Cup qualifiers, that's, there's a big problem there now whereby Arnie reckons they won't be playing a game until another year goes by Gee, with another the virus. Year. So okay. uh, lots to talk about there. The All America right. game being cancelled in London and also the England match being cancelled in London as well. So Ma- right. Arnie very frustrated at big this point news. in time. Big news. All right, Marcus Flores, you are fired up about a local club here and the way they're treating their juniors. What's the story? Yeah, well, I, I got to my attention that it was uh, an email to 600 families saying that uh, outside of the academies in Adelaide are decreasing the level of the players, right. which is interesting to talk about. It. All right, we'll get to that a little bit later on. First up, Val, you've got a very, very special guest here in the studio with us. Yes, and uh, I'm glad he's made it. So we have Greg Griffin, um, solicitor, lawyer extraordinaire, ex-Adelaide United chairman, what else can we say that you are at the moment? And also in the 2023 Women's World Cup steering or bid steering committee. Good morning, so, everybody. Good on you, Greg. Good morning, Greg. Uh, Greg, tell us, um, last week Val told, uh, mentioned a story about Adelaide Oval being back on the agenda all of a sudden. We were told that we w- didn't have the right stadium to host any of these matches. Now we're told perhaps it's in the running. Uh, how accurate is that? Look, my view about um, the Hindmarsh is that it's patently unsuitable, as it stands, uh, to be hosting Women's World Cup games in 2023. And if the government thinks putting up an extra 2,000 seats and scaffolding, that is going to get them over the line, then there's a degree of delusional Mm -hmm. conduct going on there. Mm -hmm. In terms of, instead, saying play at Adelaide Oval... That's the second worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> now, the, this, I can assure you that when, it come, when push comes to shove and the FFA, working with New Zealand Football Association, um, decide where the games are to be part played, mm. FIFA will go along with it. Don't worry about that. They are going to look for legacies. What is the, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for South Australia, for Adelaide. Now, if they blow it, by just suggesting they spend nothing other than tidy up a few toilets, Mm. then put up some temporary stands and then go to Adelaide Oval, that is no legacy. And that they're already at the bottom of the list and that's where they'll stay, in my view. So we've got, as it stands, we could probably say we've got zero chance of attracting anything to do with the Women's World Cup in 2023. Unless there is... A very significant turnabout in the mi- in the mindset of government 
You are correct. Yeah, so therefore, it's significant expenditure, right? So That's my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it it's counts for a fair bit because you're on the steering committee of the World Cup. So well, I was. That's now ceased. Okay, all right, but you were, and therefore, you, your, your opinion will be heard, and it's, and it's influential. But, Greg, as we know then, what it, people in this town have been pushing for a long, long time to build a, a purpose, a soccer purpose stadium, right? So I guess, and that's what you're saying. You would like to see a legacy left after the World Cup where they did actually spend the money and build it. What sort of budget you know, is, is in your mind? I mean, you must have looked at this. Well, we looked at it when we owned the, yep. uh, LH United. Yep. And for about $120 million, you can build an excellent twenty three to 28,000 person stadium in the city. It's actually cheaper to build this stadium in London than it is in Adelaide, but put that aside. <laughs> um, think about that Hang one. Hang on, a footbridge costs $40 million here. But <laughs> yeah. I remember Brentford... The new stadium, that, that's, that's the model, isn't that it? Is the, I met with the Brentford people. Um, that is a perfect model. Um, and, and I spoke to the same architects, uh, Mott McDonald. They're actually, they, they actually did the Adelaide Oval. Um, so we could do this without, you know, I think if you talk about an infrastructure-led revival post-COVID, there is no better project than this. Would that be the legacy? That's a legacy. That's, that's not a temporary grandstand like they did in the 2000 Olympics, which got taken down two weeks later. And it's not just a better, you know, better toilets. It's a legacy. Do you think our sport's been disrespected? Because I saw that our state government put in the bid for three million, a $3 million upgrade of Hindmarsh Stadium, which would get you what? Uh, next to nothing. Is that disrespecting actually what this Women's World Cup is all about and what it's doing for women's sport? Look, it just amazes me that they don't speak to anyone who actually knows what's going on. Now, with great respect to the Department of Rec and Sport, uh, what do they know about this? And, and who possibly came up with the idea that a $3 million spend was going to be treated by anybody who's going to make a decision as being a genuine legacy? The answer is it is not. So they are on the cusp of losing out completely. Then they'll blame FFA and the internal politics and all the like, but it's their fault 100%. Craig, you mentioned a big, a big number there, 120 million. You know, if they're going to have to, if they're going to make a decision, if the government's going to make a decision, they're going to have to make it very quickly because it's not, that's not going to be built overnight. You know, it's going to be a long time before they can get that the structure up and running there. But what an opportunity that's going to be missed here, given that they don't do that. Albie, you're 100% correct, and it's, it's a two-year project to build it. It works in perfectly to 2023. It'll be enormous for the game here. Uh, it, it'll take it to the next level. Just like Port Adelaide, when they, they almost made a grand final. If they had stayed at Football Park, they'd be 15-16. They're now top two, top three. This is what football in this state needs. That's a good point you make. Yep. Just with regards to federation, where does... Football SA, I haven't heard a peep. We, we've lost the Asian Cup in 2015 and I didn't hear well, a peep. No, we didn't I did, lose I, it. We didn't bid for it. We didn't it. bid for it. Uh, but we, we, if, essentially, I never heard a peep from Hindmarsh about this. And again, I haven't heard a peep. Where, where does the governing body sit in all this? Well, the governing the, the body is serving two masters. Um, in many respects, the governing body has... Uh, obtained some very good funding for local clubs for renovations, new pitches, better change room facilities. But that would appear to be as far as they are prepared to push the government. 
What we need is to push the government to the absolute edge of the cliff. And that's never happened. Why aren't they doing it, though? Mm-hmm. I mean, OK, because seriously, any government would have given, any federation would have copped the money from the government because they know that the sport is booming. Well, there's, there's, and there's they'd more lose kids, votes. There's more kids playing uh, soccer than there is. So AFL why aren't, they, so many, doesn't why aren't they pushing the button harder? You have to ask them that. Yeah, but playing devil's advocate here, Greg, and I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying here right now. I've been sort of agreeing with Val and everyone else over the last couple of weeks. Let's just get the World Cup here and play it at the Adelaide Oval. Having listened to you now, I I, I am on your side. I think they do need to leave a legacy, but I've just made some notes here while you're talking. So in recent years, um, they've built Ferriton Park, you know, is it Valo Park, West Beach, uh, the the grounds out at Burton. They've given 10 clubs here a million dollars each. When I say they, that's that's the local federation and or the SA government government. So they might argue, listening to this, that, gee, we've done a lot for the game locally here. And I think they have. And as you know, Greg, I've got kids involved. You've got kids involved. We all have. I would sit back and I don't know if AFL has been given that sort of um, uh, renovation right around the suburbs. Uh, I don't know if the clubs in the in the AFL have been given that sort of money to spruce up local grounds like our clubs have. So I think locally, there's been a push and they've tried to help and support the game. But we do now need that purpose-built stadium yep. to play the game at the international level. AFL Would you agree got, with what I've just said or not? No, I don't. And why uh, is that? <laughs> AFL got $800 million together with cricket to build the iconic Adelaide Oval. No, but that's one. I'm talking about no. what they've done. They haven't done that for kids, though, around the suburbs. That, that's the Adelaide Oval. I'm saying what they've done locally. Yeah, but, but that all the money flows from that into their, their grassroots. The AFL grassroots sports is nowhere near as big or as busy as soccer. No, I agree. And and the, the thing about giving money to the soccer clubs is they're all in marginal seats. And let me tell you, like New South Wales, where the, where the Premier there has basically given all the money from the budget to marginal seats, you, you go and do a run-through all those clubs that have received monies and yeah, let Greg, me tell Greg, you, without they're t- all in Labor seats. Without, I'm not disagreeing with that either, but yeah. without turning this, this into a... Hang on. Without <laughs> turning this into a political discussion, <laughs> if they come to me and I'm the head of the Federation and say, do you want 10 times $1 million, I don't care what seats they put them in. I mean, let's be fair. We're going to take the money. Well, I'm not going to say money. no. Yeah. Well, and yeah. so therefore, whether they're marginal seats or not, the sport got the money and upgraded facilities. That's got to be a good thing. <laughs> some some uh, groups did a lot better than others, let me tell you. I mean, I always said that the Italians were on the wrong side of the Mediterranean when it came to France. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's all liberal areas, isn't it? <laughs> all right. Anyway, we can we can discuss politics for the rest of the show, but we won't. Greg, uh, the A-League. I know, Val, you, you want to grill um, Greg about where the A-League is at and the future of it. What would you like to ask him? Yeah, because obviously, Greg, you're part of the Australian professional... Yep. Football Clubs Association, and, and I think you still are. Yes. You've got the tie on. Mm-hmm. So where, where does it stand at the moment? Because this has been a process for the last two years, and we're looking – there's been a lot of talk about an independent A-League, and that's obviously going to move on. And then I'm hearing James Johnson, the CEO of FFA, is saying there's a lot of um, unbundling to do, whatever that means. So, so tell us how it's going to work and when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen. I think it will happen. I think it will happen in the next two weeks. The unbundling process has been run effectively by Paul Letterer, the, the current chairman, with Simon Pearce from Melbourne City. Uh, that is about 97, 98% there. Uh, I think they've done an incredible job working collaboratively with the FFA and the, and the federations. Uh, the unbundling is going to happen, and I think on the 27th of December in the first game of the A-League, that will be an A-League controlled for the first time by the clubs. 
So just basically... With, with, an in, with involvement from the FFA. Does it mean that these clubs are going to take total control and make decisions just solely for themselves where the rest of the game is left no. behind? How's it going to work? No, there, there's, ho- there's a whole list and raft of good of game decisions that can only be made uh, with the consent of the FFA board. So there is absolutely no possibility, for example, that there could be a rule passed that there be no Australians playing in any team, that it's purely an international game, because that's not for the good of the game. So there's a whole pile of good of the game decisions, and they've been the subject of very careful negotiations and agreed upon. So everybody is collaborative. Everyone at the table has a say. Well, I've argued with you that has to happen here locally as well. And it baffles me that that's not the, the, the structure. I just can't believe it. Greg, yeah. thank you so much for joining us, mate. Very informative, Pleasure, provocative as always, and uh, <laughs> let's hope. Now, who's lobbying for this stadium at the moment? Is anyone doing the work behind the scenes? Yes. <laughs> that means you. All right. <laughs> Good. Greg Griffin, thanks for joining thank us. Cheers, Greg. Cheers. See you, fellas. Okay, moving on, let's have a look at the local comp, the NPL, Val. Uh, I'm just reading your notes here in front of me, Mm -hmm. and uh, you're talking about the finals coming up, uh, but you're not that happy with a grand final. In fact, you've uh, said here it's an actual dud. Yeah, well, I think the last decade, Mm -hmm. and we were getting crowds, and Albie, I mean, you you would have known, you've coached in front of these crowds of of 10,000 plus at grand finals because a lot of effort was put in to actually hosting the grand final. And I think it's lost that complete flavour. And I've been to grand finals and, you know, they'll tell us the crowd's 4,000, but that's throughout the whole day. So 4,000 have gone through the turnstiles from 9am until 5 o'clock. But when you watch the grand final, Mm. there might be 1,500 there. And I don't see any point anymore in actually playing it. So you reckon it was a bigger spectacle going back the years then? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it, it was marketed a lot better. They did a lot of work getting out to schools. Yes, a lot of free tickets tickets were handed out. They had entertainment. Uh, they had people from Neighbours. This is when uh, Tony Ferrugia was running his show. Yep, yep. And then it's lost its way. So I think I don't, I don't like it. The, and then it's the top six. So you could have a situation where I think we saw it last year where one and two played three games in the last, the last three games of the season. They played each other. It makes no sense. Mm. Strange system. But I actually didn't mind grand final day, I'll be honest. It's the first one I'd ever been to. But, Marcus, you've played your entire career with uh, whoever wins the league is the champion. Now that you've come to Australia, do you enjoy playing finals? Well, in in A-League, I did uh, to play play finals. I I enjoy it. The whole whole beauty about... um, Leaks that are whoever is on top wins everything and whoever is on the bottom relegates. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in this country. No. So if you don't play finals, whoever is sixth to 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 tenth to twelfth, yeah. no one watch. They're not playing for anything. It's, it's no it's not funny. And now for example, now in MPL <clears throat> saying that, when I came and played for, for, for LA City, I feel more pressure playing in MPL than in A League. Really? <laughs> Seriously, Why? because emotionally. Yeah. I got, um, well, our, um, our beautiful Gia man, mm. 78 years old with the LA City mm. had crying in the middle <laughs> of the locker room, Zeppi, <laughs> which I love it. Grandfather um, of Luis Dorigo, by yeah, the way, from Adelaide United. Which is, is a soul of, of LA City. And I was, I was, carry, I was, the legacy that I received from LA City is to play the entire tournament yep. with six pounds, uh, this, um, uh, taking off before we started, 
uh, with full of kids, mm. you know, playing the game. And, yeah. and we, I was thinking, wow, oh my goodness, I'm about to play against Comet and I might relegate mm. with this big club. Yep. So I was stressed. And, and, and I was also in A-League when we finished second last and I saw a lot of people happy because they went to holidays early. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no relegation. So, so, so when no you pressure. love passion, passion for the game, yeah, I, yeah. I, like, I like when, it's, when, when we just play the game, guys. Albie, you've uh, come from the same system. You've only ever played where first past the post wins. Yep. Do you like our finals? Uh, it's, it's intriguing. I've always said that, but, um, you know, it's... Disappointing for a team that finishes top and wins a minor premiership and then they get beat and then they're out the finals. You yeah. know, for, so for me, from a, a sporting code, football code situation, I think first past the post always needs to be recognised. If they want to have a, another comp uh, to support that, so it's spicy for the fans and, and the clubs to maybe win a, a trophy, I think that's how it should be done. You know the hypocritical thing about the grand final series as well. So there's the Australian National Premier League series. Okay, that's played at the end of the season. Of all the premiers of each state. So the FFA is rewarding the first past the post, but then the states have to have their own. It doesn't make any sense, in my opinion. So if Comets win the title this weekend, yeah. they go into the National Premier League final series. Right. Which is, which is how it should be. The grand final doesn't count for anything. The grand final, if, if they don't win the grand final, they're still in it. Yeah. And that's how it should be. Yeah. But you know what the sad thing is, too, in the NPL this weekend? So we've got Modbury and Power Hills relegated. Yep. yep. The northern areas, is, it is the strongest participation rate for footballers yep. in this state by a country mile. Mm. Why can we not get that area fixed? And Albie, I mean, I remember the days when you were coaching APAC. And then Salisbury. What, what, what's going on? Why, why can't we get a good one or two clubs to stay in the top flight regularly? Well, you know, it's a case that, you know, you make a good point about everybody used to say once you go past Jeps Cross, the team that you're going to play up against is, is going to be a strong team. You go to their grounds, it's a difficult, you know, I coached Elizabeth as well, which was a tough, tough team. And we never had the best, the best players in the in the, the league, so to speak, but we, we had a really tough dressing room and a tough team of players that uh, won the Federation Cup against Azuri, mm. you maybe remember, yeah. and they had a superstar team. But I'm not sure what the, um, what the actual answer is there, uh, Val, because, you know, you're right in what you're saying there. You look at the Pana Hills and the, the Montbrace of this world, they've, they've struggled there. And then you've got Croatia that's right on the cusp of where these guys operate in as well. Um, and they're doing quite well. But um, I, I really don't know what the answer is. It needs to get better. Just on the um, final series, Dits, <laughs> State League 1 and 2. Now, they've got a grand final as well, which I think is a, a complete waste of time because the Premier gets promoted from State League 1 or State League 2. So yep. at the moment, South Adelaide, if, if they keep their lead, they're up. Yep. Wipe them out of the final series, but have... A series where the second club 
the, sec- the second club getting into the next league, that becomes the grand final. You have 2v6. So, which is what they do in the UK. Yeah, yeah. The playoffs. Actually, I don't it mind that system. It's so much more interesting. I don't mind that system. You're right. South Adelaide, you've won the right. You go up. The yeah, next yeah. four clubs are fighting it out for the other spot. And then that would got, make it interesting. You know, Eastern United on top in State League 2, and then Bodbury's there, Modbury Vista. Albie, that Bodbury's. has worked in the UK, hasn't it? It's created a and lot of interest. That, that, the crowd to watch those games, yeah. and, they, and you'd have so much passion there because they've got something... <laughs> Riding really big on it. Yeah. You know what? One one club that we should speak about is Leeds United. That's and you could relate yep. to this, but yep. they've taken about six years. You know, they've been a prominent club. Mm. You know, going back a lot of years, and they've struggled to get up to the top league. Now they've made that through the qualification stage, mm. uh, or in the playoffs, as you mentioned, there, Val. That's that's a, a, a an unbelievable spectacle in in England. It really is. Yeah, it's yeah. a big competition, and they're doing really well at the moment. Very prominent in the uh, Premier League. Yep. All right, let's move on. Marcos, I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, something has, uh, well, I, I never ever see you upset or angry, but something has slightly annoyed you over the last couple of weeks. Yes, I got, I mean, obviously, as as you know, um, I'm being, um, putting my love to the game in the park and, and helping kids from every single club. I've been in schools helping and and um, and honestly, it brought my attention that some families were concerned about some information that was coming through club yeah. through the club, yeah. saying that they, they were not endorsing outside academies because they brought attention that the club performance of the kids decrease. So decrease. So I was I was trying to you know I, I put a Google Translator, put it in Spanish to to actually. <laughs> Uh, try to comprehend every mm. single word. Yeah. Whoever plays soccer, whoever plays football, you will never ever decrease a level of one player mm. if you train one more time per week. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Mm. With who? With your dad, with your brother, mm-hmm. with the with the dogs <laughs> dribbling the drop, you're gonna get better. Now, if on top of that, mm. I put I'm gonna speak behalf my colleagues. Mm. I'm not here to sell my my my, my program. Yeah, yeah. I want to speak about Diego Pellerini mm. playing Parma, Marcelo Carusca, Casio, Drago, and I can name you people that are empowering the yep. game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is whatever the system. After we're talking about academy and clubs, I mm. would love mm. to make everything more affordable. Yeah. But we'll never ever decrease mm. any player that knocked the door. Of this, of this, of these people. So, in other words, if I play for ABC Football Club and we train three nights a week, but my parents say, "I tell you what, on a Sunday morning, I'd love you to go and spend an hour with Marcus every week and do some more skills." That's the sort of thing you're talking about. Yeah. All right. Albie, Can I just come on that? You know, I think the complaint is valid. Okay, because there's there's certain people that set up clinics here and academies and whatnot, and they really don't have the notches on the on the board to conduct an academy to a professional level. The people that you've just mentioned there, Marcos, right? If I had a son at six years of age and I was invited to go to one of these clinics, I would be there like in, in a shot. Yeah. Because all the guys that you've mentioned there, yourself included, all very good uh, ex-pros, all very good people that's got an education of the game and all very good people that could pass on a lot of good knowledge to young players. And what would you do if you receive an email by the president saying your kid is playing is playing bad because you're taking you're taking your kid to an extra session with mm. one of the players? Yeah. I think there might be a hidden agenda there. I'm not sure of the whole yeah. story here, but I ah. think there might be a hidden agenda. 
But what, um, you, what would you think as a father? Because I, I, I don't imagine my father saying, what? Mm. This club is telling me that I cannot take my son yeah. to Marcelo's Bios Academy? I, I was growing up in Rosario, guys. Mm. So imagine if my father receiving an email saying, don't take your son over there because he's playing, he's playing, he's playing really bad. So, a couple of things. Is it jealousy or, secondly, is it are we scared we're going to lose these kids from our club? I think what it is, that it's protection of their own academy or clinic or whatever it may be. Yep. But there must be a hidden agenda there because, again, I'll repeat myself, if Marcus Flores is want to poach my kid mm. at six years of age, guess what? I'm yep. going to be there. Yep. My agenda is to, is, to, is, to build, is to actually empower the game. This yeah. is why yeah. I'm a colleague and I'm naming, mm. I'm naming all these players... Yeah? yeah, as a marketing, whatever you want, yep. guys. Yep. And I'm not saying the name of my academy. And don't worry about it. <laughs> Find out. <laughs> right. Fair <laughs> enough. You've made a good point, Val. Just in saying that, I was watching uh, Marcos coach at Newton on Friday. They, they play in another, I don't know how many teams you've got there. Cello, Karuska. There's, it's a fantastic environment. They've got seven-a-side tournaments with the kids. Yep. There's got to be more than a thousand people that turn up there on Friday nights, and my only wonder is why aren't the, we? We can see so much power in the game with the kids; it's thriving. There's goodwill. We've got some good coaches out there, but it's not transforming to the higher levels. It's not. We we don't see a thousand people watching a Campbelltown game. We don't see a thousand people watching Eastern United. We don't. Mm. So. What do we need to do to get these people who really love the game and, and, and flourish and, and it, there's so much goodwill, but it doesn't transmit? The business have to empower the love of the game. Once that we do clinics for free, once that we invite more kids and we put love, love, but love, I mean, going to the park, yeah? Yeah, going to the park 15 sessions on Saturday for free. Can we do that? Well... It's a challenge, it's a journey, but I'm willing to do that. I've always said it, gentlemen, if you're going to do something or coach kids or that, I think you've, you, you need to have some notches on the board whereby you've been brought up in a professional environment, mm -hmm. you've lived the game, uh, you, you know the full-time setup. you know how where the, 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 the peaks and troughs are, you know when it gets difficult when you're left out of the team and you learn that as an experience. Mm -hmm. to pass on whether it be a six-year-old or a 14-year-old. Have you got a potential player at 14 or 15 that's good enough to possibly play in the professional leagues overseas? They need to be coached by an ex-pro. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. 100%. Try <laughs> So, Val, just tell us the story there. When are they playing that? Bayern Munich at their home stadium, Allianz yeah. Stadium. Every time they score a goal, they play that song. you got to and be kidding. You know how many times they've played it over the last couple of months? Well, do you know Maybe what? About 50 times. <laughs> it would drive you nuts. You'd play defensive all of a sudden. You wouldn't score. <laughs> drive you insane. Joining us now, a very, very special guest, and it's uh, an absolute treat to have him on, the real football show, the coach of the Socceroos, Graham Arnold. Arnie, welcome. Thanks, guys. How are you? Good. What would you like to play when you score? Have you got anything in mind or not? <laughs> uh, the show must go on. Yeah, there you go. All right. Um, Albie, great mate of yours, Graham Arnold. Yeah, look, uh, how are you going, Arnie? All good? 
Good, thanks, Albie. How now, are you, mate? Now, I had a chat with you a couple of weeks ago, and... Um, I sensed a bit of fr- frustration, mate, in uh, in your voice with the the World Cup qualifiers. You mentioned, you know, you might not be pay- playing a, a qualifying match uh, within a year. Is that still correct? Yeah. Look, who knows? Uh, who knows the pathway where where it's going to end at this moment in time, Albie? You know, it's uh, obviously it's frustrating for you know um, the, not only the the coaching staff but uh, also the fans and. And the players, speaking to the players regularly, they're, they're obviously missing uh, very much playing for their nation. But, you know, the way uh, it is with uh, the AFC at the moment, it's uh, obviously the games have, have been postponed. Nothing's been cancelled. It's just been all postponed. So <clears throat> at the moment, uh, November, uh, as you know, has been postponed. And uh, we're looking forward at this moment to, you know, playing Q8 in Nepal now in March next year to push it back. Then. So, until then, you know, the hardest thing is is to plan for things at the moment during this coronavirus, and you know, it's obviously uh, it's made life difficult for, for everybody in every landscape. But uh, whatever AFC throw at us, we'll be ready for it in the end. Arnie, fill us in on the. You mentioned uh, Qatar being a maybe a home base for you for camps mm-hmm. and games. Uh, can you share a bit of light on that? Yeah, well, look, I've. The way the restrictions are in, in, here in Australia and the way things uh, are with our national team boys, you know, you've got at this moment, for example, just say uh, we had a game next, uh, uh, just say the ga- we had a game next Tuesday and our boys play, uh, next Thursday, sorry, and our boys play in Europe on Saturday, all spread around the world. Yeah. Mm. And then they've got to fly into Australia and, and you know, uh, is, is our governments in any of the states going to allow our players to come in, get tested, go straight to a hotel, do two training sessions, play play on the Thursday and then leave on the Friday to go back to their clubs and back to their countries where they play. So most other countries, as well as ours, that uh, when you arrive international from somewhere, you're straight away in 14 days quarantine or seven days quarantine. So it makes it difficult uh, for that type of uh, situation. But... Uh, here in Australia to bring the players back here, but what we could do is look at something like a Qatar. That, uh, yeah, no bad point. Travel yeah. Just travel, just travel in and it's closer to home for them. Arnie, you, you also got the Olympic team to think about as well. So what's the progress with games in that sort of sense? And, and is Tokyo, is that being firmed up as when the tournament well, will go ahead? Yeah, the information and the knowledge we're getting from the AOC is that the Olympics will go on. Um, Will it be with fans and all that? We don't know. But, uh, look, I'm holding an Ollie Roo camp next week uh, here in New South Wales for all the players that cannot can get to New South Wales. We're going to play. Uh, we have a 10-day camp. We're going to play against Sydney FC. Uh, it's like a farewell game for them for before they go to the Champions League mm. um, to get the boys back together and, and, and to reboot. We can't just sit idle and do nothing and, and expect the players and and that to be ready for the Olympics. So the preparation will go on um, and we'll be ready to, to go to Tokyo when it's ready. Annie, how are you? Marcos Flores. Hey, Marcos. How, how are, are you, you amigo? Um, um, first of all, um, I wanted to, 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 to share to everyone that uh, for me you are the, the, best, the best leader that these this Socceroos can have. Thank and, you. And in this moment that is so many big decisions for Socceroos, there is not a person that can make better decisions than you. 
Um, now, seeing that... Um, have you just become natural? Are you trying to get a game or something? <laughs> no, he's trying no, to get... I, he's trying I, to get I, I can't have Australian passports. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey, Val, Val, I know what he's up to. He wants a gear to put a cop in America. <laughs> no, but, but that was, got, got, got cancelled, Annie. I was, I was checking. <laughs> oh, no, it's only been postponed. It hasn't been cancelled oh, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. There we go. Uh, I, I wish you the very best, Annie. I mean, I, I know these important decisions and, and, and whatever you do, you're going to do it for the playing group and and uh, so we, we can we can be relaxed, those fans that we love that, that love Socceroos. It must be said as well, uh, Arnie, that um, you know you've been offered a, a gig in Korea, big club. That was a big call for you, mate. And you've uh, we must take our hats off to you because you did say to me personally that uh, you got sixty players to think about, and you, geez, that was a big call, mate. Big call. Yeah, I'll be, it was. Uh... You know, this moment in time, especially people that know me well, like Marcos is just saying some beautiful things here, but they know that um, they know that I just love being on the field and, and love love coaching and helping players become better. And that's something I haven't done for now nine months. I haven't been on the field since Thailand. Uh, and, it, and, you know, my brain was rattled, to be honest, because it was a, a tough decision because it was a very, very good offer and a 100% concrete offer of a three-year deal and, you know, but my gut makes my decisions and my gut and my heart took over the decision and I just felt at this moment in time, I do have great aspirations to coach overseas still, but I just felt at this moment in time with a lot of work that I've been doing during the coronavirus of, of trying to, uh, with, uh, you know, with the state federations and that to try and give get kids and give kids more opportunity to play, but also coaching two teams at the moment, the Socceroos and the Ollie Roos. We're only halfway through our journey and I just felt that personally I couldn't walk out on the boys and, and the staff and, and let people down at this moment because, uh, you know, it's uh, you can use the coronavirus as an excuse or you can use it as an opportunity for change. And I do believe that, uh, you know, the opportunity to change for our sport here in Australia is, is required. Yep, well no, said. 100%. And, and Arnie, just with... The coronavirus, and you say the opportunity for change, it has changed because we saw the comeback of the A-League in the restart. Yeah. We've seen a raft of rookies come through, and it looks like a lot of the clubs in the new season will also start blooding more and more younger players. That can only be a good thing for the national team, surely. Oh, well, exactly, mate. In Adelaide, South Australia doing a fantastic job with, uh, with development with the kids, I have to say. Um, you know, you, you look at New South Wales and New South Wales are probably looking after 50% of those uh, junior national teams with with, uh, with the kids and, and South Australia are now in, uh, second and, and doing that well in, in helping with the development. But, you know, the, the, you know, the kids have got, uh, got these opportunities in front. And look, you know, I believe that, you know, we have the kids here if they're given the opportunity. And, you know, what I... I looked at uh, when I went to Thailand with the uh, under-23s Olympic team. It really woke me up. I found that I was ringing clubs. I was ringing Adelaide for Riley McGree and George Blackwood. I was ringing, you know, Perth Glory and all the A-League clubs basically for two or three players. And, and I'll be honest with you, Val, if I didn't, if I couldn't have got nine players out of Europe during their winter break, we probably couldn't have sent a team to wow. Thailand. So, True. I've done six months of uh, – I got my analyst to do a, a, a document called The Performance Gap that will be released to the public very shortly. And it's all stats and data 
on how much minute, how many minutes the kids are playing here in Australia, and eight NYL games is is not helping our kids develop at no, all. No. So Great point. Yeah, for me, we do not play enough football in this country yep. at all. Yep. A League, twenty-six rounds. That's about. That is the second lowest. Yes, yeah, of enough. thirty-six nations we studied. Mm. Now, why, why can't they play thirty-three? There's twelve games. Mm. Why can't they? NYL eight games. Well, it's it's ridiculous. It's a joke. NPL, twenty-two rounds. It's a joke. Why can't we play thirty? Why can't we play thirty-eight? Exactly. Why? Well, we're only playing. So when you you look at the four main pillars of, of uh, uh, football. You can look at the technical side. Well, if the kids are only playing for, tw- uh, you know, for 22 weeks of the year, how are they going to get great technically? Physically, if they're only playing for 22 weeks of the year, how do they get a body that can deal with fast games and, 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 and have a body like of a beast, of an athlete? And then ta- tactically, yes, okay, I believe Australian footballers can adjust. But the biggest thing for me is mental health. And the mental side of it, these kids can't go out and play football, and they're getting rejected, and they're not getting, they're not being allowed to play football. Yeah. What does that do for a kid's mental health? So for me, just the whole sport across the whole country that's being played for 22 weeks of the year, plus maybe a preseason, is nowhere near enough. Yeah. Arnie, just a change tack there. Um, the squad these days, I see you've managed to wangle uh, to get a player, a Scottish player in your squad, Harry Suter, that uh, the big defender. How did you manage that? He speaks, he speaks very, he speaks more Scottish than what I do. He's from Aberdeen. He's played for Dundee United. He's now with Stoke City. How he, he, I just read something that uh, it seems like he's a great lad. And uh, how is he on the on the ground? Is he quality? Mate, fantastic, Bobby. Fantastic. And uh, we tried to get his brother as well. But his brother chose to play for Scotland, and uh, so Harry thought, "Well, okay, that'd be great. Let's all play for the Socceroos." Made <laughs> uh, fantastic guy, and I'll be honest with you, it was uh, Adam Federici who was at Stoke City at the time. Yeah. And Adam reached out to me and said, "Only we got this kid here who's got an Australian grandmother, and uh, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and 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 only he's got this great quality. He's six foot seven. Wow. And uh, he's he's a beast of a centre back, and he, he wants to play for Australia." And so we reached out to him, and mate, I'll be honest with you, there was not a, it, you didn't have to convince him to play for Australia. It was just an invite to come into the Ollie Roos. And mate, when he turned up the Ollie Roos, he, he had to duck to get under the doorway. <laughs> <laughs> We've never, we never met him before. And, and he's a fantastic kid, and I do believe you know, he's playing every week at Stoke City now, he's playing every minute. In the championship, I do believe he'll be a Premier League centre-back. Fantastic. That's great news. Positive news. Arnie, thanks so much for joining us. And it sounds as though you've got a a tough 12 months ahead, but we know you're the man to do it. We can hear your passion. And as Albie pointed out, you made a very, very tough decision as far as uh, staying with the Socceroos was concerned. So well done. And thanks so much for talking to us. No problem, guys. It's great to speak to you. There he is. Cheers, Arnie. Graham Arnold, the man in charge of the soccer. Gee, he's got some great ideas. And, geez, talk about lack of play for our youth. It's a, it's a very, very well-made and point. And he's 100% correct. Yep. And, you know, one of the one of the one another strange decision I thought which happened in our league was, I think, oh, maybe five or six years ago, there was 16 teams in, in MPL and MPL 1, whatever it was called, State League 1. Yep. They were playing 30 matches a year, which I thought was fantastic. Yep. Then they reduced it to 12, and now you've only mm. got 22 games per league. Yep. When I think, like Arnie said, we need more games. Merge the two leagues, have 18 teams in each league, mm-hmm. and play 34 matches. Mm. And then we'll get better at this game. And Marcos, 
I'm speaking on behalf of someone from outside. You're in there. What do you think? We need to engage and we need to actually deliver something that they loved mm-hmm. because end of the day, the kids are not just playing soccer, guys. They have so many sports yeah. during the week yep. that that is, a, that is another battle, you know? Mm. You can yeah. add more sessions, but the kids will not come because they're already committed to footy, cricket. cricket. So yeah. if you make kids to love the game, mm-hmm. like, for example, for 40, I got two kids that come in every day. Really? Two from 40. Mm. There we go. Well, that's just about it it from us, sorry, from the Real Football Show this week. Just before we go, uh, Marcos, I know you wanted to to find out what happened. West Brom and Brighton drew one all, okay? I know you've been hanging on (laughs) just to hear that. Uh, What's happening with the EPL this weekend, Albie? Anything that excites you? Uh, yeah, look, the, the pick of the bunch for me that says Liverpool's playing West Ham, David Moyes. We'll yeah. maybe get David Moyes on the on the, the show next week. All right, fantastic. Um, but Liverpool playing West Ham, that's a good game. Aston Villa got beat the weekend there, and Southampton won. So that, that should be a cracker of a game. Um, and the big one, Man United versus Arsenal. Now, Arsenal Huge beat, game. Arsenal being beat at the weekend there. Uh, that's uh, 1-0 yep. from... Uh, uh, Leicester yep. Vardy scoring the goal Yes That's the first time ever That uh, Leicester's beat Arsenal Is that right? Okay. First ever really? Wow Alright Marcos Who you pick Arsenal or Man United? Arsenal Arsenal Val? Can't stand either of them <laughs> To end on a positive You've been listening <laughs> You've been listening To The Real Football Show Triple M's The Real Football Show Catch-Up. Saturday mornings from 7am for CMI Toyota, SA's number one Toyota dealer.